just for whatever time the Lord leads us here, I want to speak to you tonight on the place where revelation is given. The place where revelation is given. I was just praying this afternoon and a couple of things came to my mind. And then about 40 minutes before I come out, this was laid on me. So we're just going to go uh, as the Lord leads us here with this. Uh, Matthew 13, beginning to read at verse 1. The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside, and great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. And some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some one hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? And he answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away, even that he hath. Therefore speak I unto them in parables, because they seeing, see not, and hearing, they hear not, neither do they understand. And the name is fulfilled, the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I shall heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see. For your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you that not that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which you see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which you hear, and have not heard them. Let's pray a moment. Father, would you take your word and show us revelation in your word, more of your Son. Speak to our own hearts, Father, and guide us maybe things we've been praying about, wondering about, asking about. Lord, would you start to bring your people into a place where there's revelation of God, revelation in your word. And Lord, it all would be done for the glory of your Son, the Lord Jesus. For his precious name's sake we ask it. Amen. Now, without reading all of this, if you were to read that whole chapter, 
you'll find in it there are seven parables mentioned in chapter 13. The first four parables, for example, the first one, it seems there are four parcels of ground. Notice there's a, the seed that's sown by the wayside, but the fowls devour it. And then in verse 5, some upon stony places. And by the time you get to verse 6, it springs up quickly. They're like a shooting star. In other words, there's no root in them. And so when the sun comes up or when something difficult comes, they wither away quickly and die. And you can see believers like this, can't you? You know, people in the say have got saved and they're like shooting stars for a moment and then something comes. There's no root in them. And so because there's no root down in them to drink from the, the soil, as it were, where they've been planted, they wither and die. And then we find there are those who fell among thorns, the seed that falls among thorns, and the thorns spring up, and as it's starting to grow, it chokes. Chokes them. Now, when we get to verse 8, other fell into good ground. And if you notice Matthew's account here, notice what it says in verse 4, some seeds fell by the wayside. Verse 5, some fell upon stony places. Verse 7, some fell among thorns. Notice the terms, by, upon, among. But verse 8, and other fell into. Into good ground. So when the gospel is preached whether it's in a gospel for salvation or whether it's in teaching, there's, there's different kinds of heart here. Different kinds of spirits. And some spirits are teachable spirits and some are not teachable spirits. And the, the seed of the word of God will fall into different hearts, different places. But generally when he's speaking here, he's speaking to those who have gathered around and he's on the seashore. He's on a boat. The crowd's on the seashore. And he's saying, look, I'm speaking here. But only one in four. Notice, only one in four. One quarter. 25% out of the 100% crowd under the preaching of Christ. He says, they're the ones where the seed falls into. Into. What sort of ground? It's not thorny. It's not a wayside ground. It's not rocky, stony ground. Good ground. Good ground. Good ground was the place of the heart where they are ready to receive the word. Now, the Holy Spirit makes those who are Christ ready to receive the word. Do you know what you're going to notice in this, which people don't like to mention? This speaks of election. This speaks of God's Spirit starting to work on the hearts of those who will receive him. Now, notice this also. So there's fruit comes out in verse 8. Then he mentions, ears to hear, let him hear. And then the disciples say in verse 10, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? But what we notice as we go further down this chapter is this. The disciples had no idea what he was talking about either. The first four parables of Matthew 13 seem like, gives the impression or show to us that an outward, to an outward appearance of the failure I'm not making a wrong word here. I'm using this in purposely. Of the failure of the kingdom of God. Only one in four. Sure, that's a failure in any man's eyes, is it not? It's 25% not a failure. But it's the actual opposite. Because it's God's sovereignty 
calling whom he will. It's the, it's the very opposite of it. But to an outward appearance, it seems as though here we find it's a failure in the first four parables of Matthew chapter 13. Let's just briefly look at verse 18. Here's the second parable. Hear you therefore, pardon me, this is the interpretation of the parable, the second part. The parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the, the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which is received by the wayside, but he that received the seed in the stony places, the same as he that heareth the word and anon with joy receiveth it. Many people have you heard have come out of a meeting and saying, I've given my life to Jesus, I've given my life to the Lord, and I'm saved, and by that week they're back in the pub, or they're away doing what, there's, no, there's nothing about Christ in them. Nothing about Christ. And then, verse 21, Yet he hath root in himself, but dureth for a while. Notice he's root in himself, not in Christ. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. You know what you're finding more and more in the church? Put it, I'll put that in a wide bracket. You're finding more and more in the church where ministers are so afraid now that they're now ecumenizing on the left hand and on the right. They're offended at the word. Oh no, we believe the word. But the word tells you you're to be a separatist church. And people say, what do you mean by separatist? Well, I'm a separatist. Separate from the word, yes, but I'm a separatist for those who are not fully abiding by the word of God. Those who would bow down to idols, I'm separate from that. I stay separate, I'm a separatist. And I trust you are too. CET is a separatist church. I know that sounds a bit harsh, but that's who we are. We're separated from the world unto God. We're separated from ecumenicalism unto God. And so here what we find is that he is rooted in himself and endureth for a while, but when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. Those ministers are offended. They're more worried about being offending men outside by saying, no, we are taking our stand. Look at verse 22. He also that received the seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word. And the care of this world and the seedfulness of riches choke the word and become unfruitful. So now he's saying that, that there are those who receive the word, they're doing well, but what happens? Curse of life. Curse of life. You know what? It's all about the money side of things. Um, pastor, I don't know. If I told you many times people have came to me, I don't mean even in here, I'm talking about throughout my pastoral life who've come to me and wanted me to excuse them to take up work that would take them away from the meeting. And when I say, no, don't make sure you stay in fellowship, you know what to do? They blame me on it then. But I need the money for my family and you're going to keep me poor. And well, don't ask me. <laughs> Go and ask God. Because then you're offended at the word. Notice this. The curse of life choke people. You know what that tells us? They step out of the realm of faith and into the realm of fear. And see, once you come out of the realm of faith, you lose the revelation of God. God isn't who he really is to you. Notice this. Verse 23 
But he that received the seed into, notice the term, into good ground, is he that heareth the word and understandeth it. It's no good God talking to us in the word and us saying, oh yes, well, you know, I've received that, but it's on the wee stony part of my heart. And it was a good meeting. You know, brilliant, wasn't it? Sunday night was brilliant. We were praising God, and then by the time Monday morning comes, it's withered and died, or it's fell into thorny ground, and it's done all right, and next thing we die off of it, or it dies off in us, and we become unfruitful. But notice what he says. But he that received the seed into good ground is he that heareth the word and understands it. I understand what you've told me, Lord. So then the issue comes between you and God. The issue's always between you and God, by the way. But when God starts speaking to your mind, to your heart, to your spirit, conviction, and that can be in anything, whether how we talk or act or deal or do, God says, no, you want me with you, I'm here, now listen. I but Lord, I do want you, but it's not that we but. Notice here. He understandeth it, which also beareth fruit, and bringeth forth some an hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Now he goes into the second parable. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. Here's another one of the sower. While men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat, and he went his way. And when the blade was sprung up, he brought forth fruit. Then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst thou not sow good seed in thy field from whence it hath tares? Hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. This was the work of the devil. An enemy has done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? And he said, But he said, Nay, lest while you gather up the tares, you root up also the wheat with them. They let them both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now there's a little, there's a little, uh, there's a little sign there of the second coming of Christ, that when he comes, Guess who's gathered up and burned and who's left on the earth where we're always told we're away and everything else happens on the earth. He says, gather them up. You're staying here. That's what he says. But it seems again like the kingdom of God was a failure. Why? Because Christ couldn't keep his kingdom. The terrors are there. Did you not see that, Lord? Do you not know who they are? This is or whatever it is. Do you not know what God says? Look, you mind your own business. I'll sort this out. I'll sort it out. So it seems a failure. And then we have the third one of verse 31. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it becometh among, the greatest among herbs, and becometh a tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. This seems like there's another failure. It's only a little tiny seed. And rather than looking at the great picture, the bigger picture, rather than seeing the very branches that go out, everyone focuses on the mustard seed, don't we? See, it seems to man that what God's kingdom is failing. A quarter of people, just one in four of the seed. 
The second one, Lord, there's terrors. It seems like this kingdom's failing. What sort of a kingdom is this? Look at the way the world is. Where's your God today? Don't you hear that? Why does God allow all of this here to happen? See, they're missing out the bigger picture. Christ is coming. Then his kingdom come. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In all of its fullness. And then in verse 33, another parable speaking unto them, the kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. And all these things spake Jesus unto the multitude in parables. And without without a parable spake he not unto them. Now notice verse 35, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. Now, you'll find that in Psalm 78, verse 2. Write it down, we'll not go to it. And Yahweh says, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter dark sayings of old. Now comes the mouth of Christ. Know what that tells me? Jesus is Yahweh. He says, I'll open my mouth. Jesus now is doing what Yahweh said, he's opening his mouth, he's teaching in parables. And so his, his disciples are saying, why are you teaching in parables? He says, because I, I've already told you through the prophets, that's how I'll teach. You know why? Because there's going to be a sifting and a calling of mine. That's why. So now, we won't go into it, but the first four parables seem like there's a failure. The woman with the meal, uh, the, the leaven, Eleven usually, except for maybe once, I think, in the scripture, my memory served me right. Eleven usually means false doctrine, teaching, and wickedness. And here's a woman sowing wickedness, false doctrine. What sort of a kingdom is this, Jesus? Now, they're on the shore, and he's taught these. It's very important. They're on the shore, and he's teaching this. Now, notice what it says in verse 36. This is where revelation comes, ready? Then Jesus sent the multitude away, went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. Now, there's three parables he mentions here, and every one of them, the three parables from here on into, uh, that is in Matthew chapter 13. Here he's in the house, and what it shows? The hidden success of the kingdom of God. So next time you're reading Matthew 13, read it right through, and it looks like, wow, look at it from a point of view, this is going to be a failure. Where's Christ in his kingdom? How is this all happening? And this is how some Christians live. This is how they think. But the bigger picture is this. He is sovereign. He has his own elect. He is the one who is bringing them on, filling them with his spirit. He is growing his kingdom people on the earth that the culmination of the coming of Christ, the wicked will be gathered and you and I will be ruling and reigning with him. And the whole lot of it is he's out in the shore telling the multitude it. But now he walks into the house with those who are close to him. And they said, tell us about the the parables, would you? And this is where revelation comes. The three parables are revealed. Revealing the kingdom of God. So what is that telling us? I'll not read into it again because it tells you about the, the tares and the, the angels or the reapers and so on, about the, the, the parable of the tares. 
But what Christ is doing, he says, shut the door, guys. Now it's you and me. Now we've got our intimacy. Now let's talk. And he starts to reveal the mystery of the kingdom of God. He starts to reveal the revelation of God in his kingdom. Now, when you go through scripture, you'll notice, and I'm sure there'll be many more. Let me just throw a couple out from just off the top of my head, for example. You'll notice in scripture that, for example, Moses is up Mount Sinai on his own. And he's there with God. Revelation came. The commandments were given. He spoke with God as if with a friend. Revelation can be up a mountain. And then when you look, go right to the very end in the book of Revelation, John is on a prison night of Patmos. And I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, he says. And what happened? He was there for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. And on this little barren, rugged island, I think it's about three miles by seven, that's about the dimensions of it. They're standing possibly on the shore. There he has this revelation. Not the revelation of John the divine, as we hear, the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, revelation can be given on your Patmos, and revelation can be given on your mountain. So it doesn't matter what condition you find yourself in and where you find yourself, you'll, you'll find that whenever you are alone with him, whether it's you're alone in your mind with him, alone in your heart with him, alone geographically with him, wherever it is, that's where revelation comes. Listen, you can be lonely in a room full of people, but yet you could be on your own and in full solitary communion with Christ. Think about that. I visited a man not so long ago. I just don't want to name him. You said no, but I just don't want to name him. And he's going through a lot, and he's more or less a prisoner to his own apartment because of the treatment that he's getting for his illness. Well, it's natural treatments he's decided for. Anyway. And you know, he was lonely because he's no family. The old time you'd get a, a relative popping in. And he lives quite a bit away. So I've tried to run up and down as much as I can to see him just for an hour here, here and there. And one time I was sitting with him on the settee and we were praying. And I says, let this be your Patmos. And he went, what? I says, let this be your Patmos. Let it be the vestibule of heaven. He says, what do you mean? I says, well, look, it's like this. When I grew up on the shore road, we grew up in a little terraced house. And there was two bedrooms until my dad sort of converted the attic. And four, four of us, two boys and two girls, uh, had uh, one bed, one big massive bed, stuck in the whole of the bed. Basically, it took up the whole of the back room. And we slept in it. And that's all we had. When you come in our gate, we had no front door. Or, sorry, we had a front door. We had no front garden. Just a little wall between where the windowsill would be. It's maybe a foot and a half. That's all there was. You could wrap our front window from the very footpath. Just wrap it like this. And you see, when you came to our front door, there was a little square of maybe three by three feet. And then there's another door and then a long hallway up. And if I didn't want my parents to know anything, I used to shut that door behind us. And the front door, me and my mate would have went and we'd have whispered in this wee hallway. And that was the, you call that door the vestibule door. 
That was the vestibule door. Because in that wee little three-by-three hallway, you could speak to someone and you were sort of, you know, it was intimate. You were able to talk about things and nobody could hear you. It was like the size of a telephone box. But the two years were in it anyhow. And you were able to talk. What are you going to do? Oh, but don't be telling. Don't be saying. I don't want my daughter here, you know? And we, we and unfortunately, there was a lot of things we shouldn't have been up to. And we were arranging that. But at the same time, it was in that little vestibule. And I said to this person, let this time and you in this place be the vestibule of heaven. And I told him this, I says, you're shut the vestibule door. And every time you're here, it's you and him. It's you and him. Watch the revelation that comes to you as you go through this. And brothers and sisters, you see, if you want revelation of God, you need to go shut the vestibule door. Whatever your problem is, wherever your trouble is. Listen, Elijah was up in the, the, the cave. What dost thou hear, Elijah? And he starts communing with God. That was a vest. A cave was a vestibule. Maybe you feel you were in a cave, spiritually or mentally or physically. You're in a cave. God says, well, what are you doing here? I'm hiding, Lord, because I'm afraid. He says, what are you afraid of? I'm with you. I'm speaking to you. I'm for you, not against you. Ezekiel was by the river Kibar, away in captivity in Babylon. And there at the river where he thought, all hope is gone, there appears to him the Lord and starts to speak with him. Gives him visions, revelation. Daniel's we looked at uh, on Sunday. Uh, Daniel was by the river Uli. And when he's there, God comes and shows him the kingdoms that would come to his kingdom. Do you know what it is? It's learning to use where you are, the position you're in, the thing whether, uh, whatever is, is upon you and whether's holding you back and things are against you. You need to say, Lord, this is where I'm going to find revelation. And you're going to show me who you are, my weakness. And you're going to show me who you are because my ears are open to hear. My eyes are open to see because I'm your child. I am one of yours. I'm your elect. And let that be your vestibule of heaven. When you read this and you go home, read it again and again and look at the the next, the, the three parables that come in verses 44, 45, and 47. And they're so small compared to all the other ones that we have read here. Verse 44, again, he says, I'm going to tell you something else. This is in the house. Notice, outside it's to everyone, but now it's in the vestibule, the house. It's They have drawn near to him. They have followed him indoors. They're walking after him. Now they're right close to him and says, Lord, tell us. Show us more. Reveal unto us the kingdom. This seems like what you're speaking of. This could nearly fail in such a way. It's going to be a little small kingdom. He says, is it? Now let's read verse 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hidden in the field. The which when a man hath found, he hideth. And for joy, thereof go and selleth all that he hath and bath the field. You know what he's speaking of? Calvary. Calvary. Now there's a prophetic story in that I haven't time to go into it. I'll show you it some other time. You know what he's speaking of? Mark your, in your Bible, Exodus chapter 19. This is when at Sinai, Israel, 
that comes the wife of Yahweh. And he says, I'm your peculiar treasure unto me. I love you, my wife. I love you. You know what he's saying here? I have found the treasure. The treasure always represents Israel. Even when Peter is writing in his, in his epistle, and he says, you're a peculiar treasure, a royal priesthood, and so forth. Like, you know what Peter's writing to? Go to verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1. He's talking to the, the strangers scattered abroad, the seed of the dispersed. You know why? Because they understand that language from the Old Testament. You are them. Now you've, you've come into faith. Now you've been bought with the blood of Christ. Listen, that's you and I tonight, the treasure of God. See when he talks about the world? He tells you in this parable, the one of the tares, verse 38, to say, what is the field? This farmer or the, uh, the man sowing the seed in the world. He says in verse 38, the field is the world. So here whenever we look at it, he finds a treasure in the field. What is the treasure? In the world. Can you see that? Now there's more to it. I'll teach more on that some other time. So he's saying, here they are. Here's the house of Israel gone, the house of Judah gone, dispersed, he says. But they're my treasure that's in the field. What field? field is the world. <laughs> Can you see that? He hasn't lost us. So he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys the, what, the field. Now listen, that's why we're here. For God so loved the world. To initially buy his treasure. He gave himself. He gave his blood. Shed his blood of Calvary. And he says, I've done this to buy, but I've bought the whole world and whosoever will. Then he says in verse 46, again the kingdom of heaven is like an unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he had found it, found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now I'm going to shake your, your theological thinking just a little here and then I'm going to have to stop. You and I are always told that Christ is the pearl here of greatest price. Isn't that right? No, he's not. That's not, who, that's not who Jesus is speaking about here. Now, don't get me wrong, do and I? He is the pearl of greatest price. He's everything to us. But that's not what this parable means. Do you know where a pearl is made? Where's a pearl found? In a shell of an oyster, isn't that right? Do you know how it's made in the oyster? In the wounds of an oyster. In the wounds. That's what makes a pearl. Now the man who gives all that he has for the treasures, now the man who finds the pearl. And he says, and he went and sold all that he had. Can I ask you, church, did you sell all that you have so you can get Christ? No. But who gave all that they had that they might get us? He did. So who's the pearl of great price then? The church. Why? Because we were bought by him. We were fashioned in the wounds of Christ. Can you see that now? It was his wounds, and out of that comes our redemption. So really the part of great price are the redeemed of the Lord. So can, I, now he's shown, can you see now he's shown them not only the mysteries of, of the kingdom, but he's shown them the glories of the kingdom. And he's shown those things that are hidden. He's saying, I watch. See, I'm going to die that I may forgive your sins. I'm going to die that I'll shed my blood. 
and you're going to be fashioned and formed in me. Now you can see, not only is it a kingdom of what seemingly seems like it's a failure, but it's of great success because it's all ordained of him. Verse 47, again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net which is cast into the sea and gathered of every kind which when it was full they drew to shore and sat down and gathered the good vessels but cast away the bad. So shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just, shall cast them into the furnace of fire and shall be a wailing gnashing of teeth. Jesus saith unto them, Have you understood all these things? They say unto him, Yea, Lord. Yes. Can you see now you're on the winning team? You're on the winning side. Because it's all of him. Everything's to do with Christ. We're birthed out of the wounds of Christ. Think about that. We're bought with the blood of Christ. We are his pearl. In fact, it, it, it speaks in the Old Testament in uh, Micah that he gathers his jewels together. He's gathering us the jewels together. And you know what you do when you gather them together? is to put them into a, a treasure chest. You might feel at times we're hearing about all these court cases. We're hearing about all the things coming against us. We're hearing about the things that are anti-Christ and anti-God and against the word. Listen, you are on the victory side. You're on the winning team. You and I are on the winning team. So now, when you go home, read Matthew 6, and you'll see where Jesus says that that which you pray to your Father, what he sees in secret, in your vestibule, he will reward you openly. Openly. So remember that when we're praying now. Remember that when we're praying when we go home. God bless his word to us.